everybody. Welcome back to the podcast daily. I'm Bill Landis. That's Jeremy Birmingham. Still, uh, we're recording this 24 hours ish. Uh, after Ohio State's 21-10 season opening win against Notre Dame, uh, Berm and I have both rewatched the game at this point. I don't think Berm slept. I don't know if no, you guys have been I, checking out checking out the rival site. That man's been cranking out some stories. I got about three hours of sleep, but I'm alive. I'm ready to go. I'm pumped up. I did some smelling salts. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know what I'm realizing is how ineffective regular caffeine is anymore. So like, I don't drink coffee really, but soda, which I shouldn't drink, it doesn't do anything for me as far as like pepping me up. So I got to find some alternatives, I guess. But it's not one of those things where we can talk about illicit, you know, things on <laughs> YouTube. Um, but hey, we're here. I'm I'm awake. I'm excited, and I'm happy that we had a chance to rewatch the game because I don't think a lot of times people understand when I'm watching the game on the field and taking pictures. There's a lot of stuff I miss. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you miss in the press box, too. We, we try to take advantage, I think, when we can of watching replays, but the TVs are kind of in weird places. The Internet's not always reliable to, to kind of queue up the YouTube TV or YouTube TV on your laptop like I like to do. So, yeah, I, the thing I look forward to the most each week, which might mean I'm a sicko, is finally getting home from the game at whatever hour that might be and sitting down and, and rewatching the game. And I think you're kind of the same way, Berm. So, uh, yeah, I started we... rewatching it at 4.45 a.m. on Saturday night or Sunday morning. <laughs> so uh, some would consider that a sickness. Um, some would consider it, you know, a, a wonderful uh, affliction. It's a passion, I think, I yeah, think is, is, is what we'll sure. call it. We like we like watching ball here. All right, so let's, let's dive into uh, some of our takeaways, I guess, after a second viewing of Ohio State's win uh, against Notre Dame. Um, there were a few things that jumped out to me. I'll, I'll start with uh, something that you had made mention of like really early in camp, I think, when we were talking about things that maybe maybe questions we had in our mind kind of coming into this year. And you had said something about C.J. Stroud and his chemistry, timing, just sort of feel with basically every other receiver who wasn't named Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I thought at times on Saturday that, that the lack of that showed up a little bit on a couple of you know, balls that were thrown short, balls that were thrown behind guys, just like CJ thought a receiver was going to settle down in one place and the receiver had another idea. I'm wondering if you saw that too and if you think that's something that will just improve as, as that group works more together. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that's sort of often overlooked. People assume that these guys are all working in practice together, but it's the time that they spend outside of sanctioned practices that are really where you get that sort of chemistry with your wideouts. And it was clear, I mean, the Buckeyes on the, the third down right before the missed field goal at the end of the first half, that's a touchdown if C.J. puts that ball in the right spot where he throws it behind Ibuka and, and isn't able to reel it in. Missed a couple other shots to, to Marvin Harrison where you could just tell the timing was just a little off. Um, I don't know if that's because, as C.J. said on Saturday night, first game's always a little weird. And, you know, these kids are they're still kids. They're, they're not immune to pressure when you haven't, performed in front of anybody for 10 months and then you walk into the first game of the year and it's against Notre Dame and those bright gold helmets and 106,000 people I think that there's natural um, hiccups that are going to occur but I, I do and I, I mean I said it in jest and as we're talking about camp that Jackson shouldn't have been allowed to practice but <laughs> I really felt like it was the biggest question mark for the offense that I had was how do you replace Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave not with talent because I think two years from now when we look at uh, ceiling talent wise this current wide receiver group is probably going to be higher than last year's but that doesn't excuse or doesn't um absolve the the loss of of 
timing and the loss of of reps and chemistry that you that it takes a while to build. So um I, I definitely agree I saw that. I, I saw too, which I, I thought was a good sign, like CJ at times communicating with guys during a game. Like the one one he threw short of Marvin, you could see like sort of reading his lips, he was telling Marvin to to settle a little shallower than he did on, on one of those outbreaking routes near the sideline. But then later in the game, CJ and Marvin connected on a couple of them. So so it's not even a thing that I think was pervasive throughout the entire game. It felt like something they were getting better at actually in the, in, in the process of playing. So it's not like a red flag for me. Um, it's just something that probably we take for granted when, when we see what Brian Hartline does recruiting that position and how good CJ is. Like no yeah. matter how good you are, it, it takes time to become as good as that group was last year. And it's going to take time for these guys too. I was under the impression that Ohio state didn't try to run the ball in the first half. And I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but they did. They just didn't have many. They didn't have a lot of success doing it. Yeah. They were getting four or five yards of play, but oftentimes you'd end up in like second and six, and then they'd run and get nothing, and all of a sudden things change. And Notre Dame did an incredible job in that first half of keeping the ball out of the Buckeyes' hands. I honestly think if this would have been a five-quarter game, Ohio State would have won like thirty-five to ten. I, I think at that point the game was getting away from Notre Dame. So when it ended. It, the twenty-one to ten is it looks sort of you know blah, but I think if if we let that first quarter just be a warm-up period, I think the next uh, the next period ends up uh, being a pretty big whitewash for Ohio State. But I, I was really impressed as I rewatched the game with the job that Paris Johnson did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I think that when you looked at the first half, you're like, boy, this offensive line isn't doing a lot. But I don't know that that was the case. But Paris Johnson was doing a lot and it played a really really good game for Ohio State. So. As I rewatched, that's the one thing where I was like, man, that was a dominant performance by him. And then obviously Donovan Jackson, you don't, you know, the thing with offensive linemen is if they're showing up in the replay, if they're showing up on, on highlights, it's either because they did something really bad or something really good. And just the in-between periods where you're just doing what you're supposed to do shouldn't be on tape. It shouldn't show up. And, you know, we, we obviously have a huge question mark now building with Dewan Jones. And I thought it was very bizarre that the three false starts seemed to all happen when the Buckeyes tried to go tempo, which they didn't Mm -hmm. do pretty much the entire game. And I'm like, that's sort of Ryan Day's bread and butter is to go tempo. And they just avoided it for the most part. And that was a little uh, confusing to me as I, as I rewatched. I think with, with a guy like Dewan, there there's been so much conversation about how much quicker can you get when you're going up against guys who who are a little bit more fleet of foot than you. And I think when you have that in your head, maybe your your timer is just a little bit early that earlier or quicker than it needs to be. And and I think he's he's just a little overeager at times to kind of jump out, make sure he make sure he's winning the, the race to that spot and not the guy that he's blocking. But yeah, it happened when they were doing tempo. One of them happened, I think, on the first play of a drive, which is very weird. Uh, Plus, to, I think to, it's when his momentum gets moving, like it's really hard he can't for stop him to himself. stop. <laughs> yeah. It's not like when you're six nine, three hundred and sixty pounds, like the minute you start leaning one way. You're going to lean all the way over. Yeah, so it wasn't I, – I didn't think it was the best showing for him. Like, he, he was fine, I think. I thought Matthew Jones played pretty well. There were some some run plays where Matt really did a good job of, of getting the interior defensive lineman turned. And I agree with what you said. Um, maybe like the last – I guess the last two and a half possessions for Ohio State, it really felt like they were they had finally figured things out. They just kind of ran out of game to, to put that on display. But – that last drive with Mayan Williams and how physical he ran, like obviously he was great, but I thought the offensive line too, especially there, there were back-to-back runs where they ran like a split zone play, 
and it was just really clean. Like, yeah, you, you got double teams, you got guys at the next level. Mayan went through sort of untouched, got 15 yards. And then the immediate play after that, Matthew Jones actually had to go out of the game. Enoch Umahi comes in. They run a counter with Enoch and DeWan pulling. And honestly, it was probably the cleanest looking pull play that I've seen Ohio State run in a couple of years because when they ran it last year, it looked like clown car at times, like guys just like tripping over each other. Um, and even at points in this game, it looked like that too because they just couldn't get it fitted upright. But on that play in particular, it broke through for 12 yards. And I felt like those back-to-back plays were to me like, okay, this offensive line has finally gotten into a rhythm, but then there were like four minutes left in the game. So, so it couldn't yeah. carry forward that for, for any much longer. And I think that last drive, I mean, you know, as it was happening live, you watch it and you're like, man, the Buckeyes are just running this down their throat here. But that drive was entirely contingent on CJ Stroud making a couple ridiculous throws that that got it past midfield. And players like Marvin Harrison making an incredible catch uh, on one sideline and Mayan Williams on a wheel route where if CJ Stroud would have had time to step up and throw the wheel route, it probably would have been a a 40 or 50 yard gain for Ohio State. But CJ Mm -hmm. had to scramble. And for a player, and Austin mentioned this on Snap Judgments, but for a player who's a running back to come back to the ball in that situation and make a maybe it was you who mentioned it, I don't know, one of you guys did, but I'll take to make that to make that catch that he made on the sideline on a ball that, I mean, when we were rewatching it in the press box on Saturday night after Snap Judgments was done, I said it looked like there was a backspin on it. It was like you know the movie Wanted, where Mm -hmm. like they where they shoot bullets and it like curves in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what that throw looked like. It's like it was, it's like a, you know, like a sinker almost. It was pretty re- weird uh, to see, but that drive wasn't just power. I mean, that was a precision drive by CJ Stroud. And for a guy that struggled in the first half to finish 24 or 34 for, for 250 or whatever he threw for, like it, it's a pretty good game for a pedestrian, you know, for normal quarterbacks, that's a great game. For CJ Stroud, it looks pedestrian, but I think that he really, started to get comfortable with those guys that you know those receivers that we talked about and just the next three weeks are going to be kind of meh obviously or two weeks i guess you got arkansas state and then of course a mighty matchup with the toledo rockets (laughs) where anything could happen of course but um i think you're going to see that rhythm and that timing that they really need to work on uh and just the confidence of the offensive line build now i'm i talked about it with you guys after the game and i don't think it's been mentioned anywhere but Walking out of the stadium, Luke Whipler had his foot in a his foot in a boot, and I don't know if there's anything to that. If it was just precautionary, so something to watch as we talk about the offensive line. But that's something to keep an eye on, I guess, in the next couple of days moving forward. I was looking to see if there was something that happened to him, and and I couldn't find it. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe he came in with something, and that's just a we're gonna try to you know keep the weight off of it while we can kind of deal. But I guess we can ask Ryan Day about that. And I was. When I saw Enoch Vimahi, and I didn't realize it watching it live that Enoch was in the game on on the last touchdown that Mayan scored, and I thought something might have happened to Matthew Jones, but I, I think maybe something just like popped in his knee brace or something because he was back in there for the last drive too. So um, it that like play was amazing. I, I figured, you know, I was on the field obviously in that moment, and I knew you were upstairs. I just pictured you like a proud papa, just smiling, looking down. You know, we got Josh Fryer in there wearing number forty one as an extra tight end. You got. Cade Stover in the background, Mitch, Mitch, Mitch Rossi in the backfield. It's just like, oh man. And they loaded up all these guys on the right side of the line. And then they ran mine Williams left. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just wanted to see someone get blown out up there. But, uh, you know, overall I, I mentioned it uh, on, in the staff judgments. And I guess a lot of this is just seeing what we saw and then circling back to it. But 
and I don't like to play the game of if you take away this player, that play, and then the numbers would look like this. But Notre Dame had the 54-yard pass play on the first play of the game to Lorenzo Styles that was a broken play and a missed tackle on, by Josh Proctor that obviously led to him pretty much being removed for the rest of the game. Yeah. They had the bobbling catch down the sideline of 30-some yards in the um, second quarter that just pure luck. Then you have another play to at the end of the third quarter that I think the guy didn't catch the ball, and they gave him a 31-yard catch on that. If you take away that 110 yards, I mean, that, that game, you're talking about a an unbelievable defensive performance by Ohio State, and I don't think that we really talked enough about how good that defense was on Saturday night, and I don't know if you should look at it and say this is a, a surefire tale of uh, things to come, but Man, oh man, that that was a dominant performance by Ohio State, and it was across the board. It was the defensive line, the linebackers were spectacular. Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, and and then the secondary. I mean, Cam Brown was looked like a, a first round pick, like he's you know Austin's been saying he's going to be for years. So I, I think that the defense did not get enough run for what they did because people are focused on the inefficiency of the offense. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually, I, I was kind of feeling that way after the game. Like the first, the first question to Ryan Day was, "What's wrong with the offense?" Not like, "Man, can you believe how good your defense played?" And I guess credit to Ryan Day for for not going there immediately. And he did single out the the physicality that they played with and how well a defense played. Um, the the thing that I think I like the most about the defense on Saturday night, especially now after going back and watching some more of it, is. I think Notre Dame's run game can get a little tricky with all their movement and pulling and just creating different gaps and extra gaps. And uh, confusion was a problem for Ohio State's defense last year. They often looked like they didn't know what they were doing. And I can't say there were many plays on Saturday night where I felt like the defense didn't know what it was looking at. There was that one like misdirection pitch where they got the tight end open down the seam. It was a really nice play. Notre Dame didn't really try to go back to it. But aside from that, I thought – that and Jim Knowles made sure to mention this. The defensive line, I think, was was fitting things up the way that they needed to, and then the linebackers and the safeties were flowing to the spots they needed to flow to. And like that's simple football, but someone setting an edge and then a second level player like flowing to the right spot and then actually making the tackle just didn't happen quite often last year, at least against the best teams that Ohio State played. So it was like normal football but it was refreshing to see it from an Ohio State defense and that it happened at, at such a quick pace too with the way they were flying around good football looks simple right. and simple football looks like good football run to the ball tackle the ball that's how you play defense everything Ohio State did a year ago and I've talked about it on the show the number of times I'd look over on the field and see guys looking at the sideline like what are we doing we have no idea what we're doing and you sort of try to brush it off during the season because you're like, well, the, you know, it's a very inexperienced group. But I, the the difference between Tommy Eichenberg last year and this year from what we saw on Saturday night was uh, just light years different, mm -hmm. like light years. And I know that people want to make these natural comparisons to other linebackers that Ohio State have had and say, oh, well, he's not built like this guy. He doesn't run like this guy. But, like, Jude was all over the place. And I know Michael Hall was the Ohio State defensive player of the game, according to the, the the program itself. But I think you could really give it to either one of those guys. Tommy Eichenberg with the two sacks. Michael Hall. I mean, as you rewatch the game, we had known that this was coming from him based on just talking to people. But he sort of opened it with the 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 direct, you know, momentum changing two plays after the Notre Dame busted play, and then slammed the door shut 
and Notre Dame's final real drive of the game. And that's the type of thing for a kid who's in his second year, obviously four years of eligibility. I newsflash, I don't think we're going to get all four of those. <laughs> uh, that is a kid that the Buckeyes knew they had something really special in him. And I, I wrote about it on Monday morning for OhioState.Rivals.com is that he's sort of been overshadowed because he came in with Jack Sawyer and JT to him low out, but this was a top 100 player. If he wasn't from Ohio, people would have been raving about him. But he's from Ohio, and everyone just goes, he's from Ohio, he's not any good. And I, it's weird that people do that. I know Jack Sawyer's from Ohio, but, but no, he was but top, I, top five he, player. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I felt the same way last year, and I, I went up to Streetsboro to do a story on Mike, um, I think that summer before he got here, because I kind of felt the same way. Like It was just like, listen, like you need to pay more attention to how good this guy is. I, I understand that he's only the third-ranked defensive lineman in the class, but this kid's a stud, and if he was the best player in your defensive line class, I think you'd still feel really good about that. Uh, his his hand fighting, I guess if you want to call that, just like the way he could quickly disengage from people was incredible. And like we, we heard a lot about how quick his first step was, and, and it was, but I was more impressed with just sort of his brute, strength and the way he was just sort of displacing what are pretty good offensive linemen for Notre Dame. The more I think about that 2021 recruiting class for Ohio State, there were so many kids who were affected by COVID and missed their seasons. Jack Sawyer didn't play his entire senior year, you know, sitting it out. Travion Henderson didn't play. Evan Pryor didn't play. JT Tumaloa didn't play, but three games. Emeka Ibuka. Michael Hall had closer to what should have been a regular season in 2021 uh, and or 2020. But he broke his hand and only played two games. So, like, he didn't play a whole bunch. So, I think there was just all this, like, you don't know what you're going to get. But if you look at him, he looks different than a lot of Ohio State defensive linemen. And I was, I mentioned this to Austin when we were leaving the stadium last night. Like, kind of, I don't like to say this because I know it sounds like you're painting a league in a different breath, but he looks like an SEC defensive lineman and he, he certainly has the quickness of one. I think I know what you mean by that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Maybe Big Ten fans don't want to hear that, but there's a yeah. look. There's a look to those guys down there, and I think I think he has that. I think like JT Tuimolowell has that too. He was yeah. his uh, his stat line was not one that jumped out at you, but I feel like every time I was looking at the defensive line on a given play, he was knocking somebody backwards, and he was like, I know you've talked a lot about how close Zach Harrison was last year a lot of times, and I felt like JT was like half a step from either sacking Tyler Bookner, hitting him, getting a TFL. Like he was right there on multiple plays and, and you almost feel bad for a guy when he plays that way and doesn't get the statistical output. But um, he was just about every bit of the brute force up front that I thought he would be. We talked about it a lot in the last couple of weeks. You don't expect to see JT getting big numbers, but his impact is going to be felt because he is a guy who is walling off a side of the defensive line and saying, if you, you shall not pass over here. So if you're going to run, <laughs> you better go somewhere else. Uh, and that allows this defense which ultimately is if I'm re rewatching the biggest takeaway I have is that I saw a defense running to the football that we didn't see it before. And that, that was really the, the biggest takeaway is that whatever Jim Knowles and Perry Eliano and Tim Walton are teaching and, and Coy McFarland and, and Matt, uh, Matt Guerrero, like these guys are teaching something different than what was taught the last couple of years. And I don't think it's just a simple matter of saying these guys are now buying in than they weren't before. I, I, Maybe that's part of it, but I, I think they're clearly being taught something different because it was a a totally different mindset and mentality out of the defense. And if that's what we're expecting from this point, for, I, in some ways, I think maybe they, you know, Jim Jim Knowles said he wants a top five defense, and I, like, oh, you're setting the bar too high, pal. Uh, but now 
you go out and you give up 253 yards in the first game to Notre Dame, and you're like, well, now the bar's set really high because next week you play Arkansas State. And if you give up more than that to Arkansas State, people are going to be like, ah, well, they're not as good as we thought. Ohio State you know you're is, gonna do that. is, I believe, a 45-point favorite going into that game as, as we record this on, on Sunday evening. So uh, I don't think people are expecting <laughs> Arkansas State to do that. Oh, they did score quite a few points in their opening game. Uh, Burn. Before we get out of here, I think we need to we need to talk a little bit about recruiting. It was sure. uh, the biggest recruiting weekend ever anywhere that's ever happened on the planet. Is that a fair way to describe it? That's certainly the biggest that I can remember covering Ohio State as far as just the sheer number of players that are in attendance. We're recording this, as you said, on Sunday evening. A couple of the key players are still in town. It is my personal uh, preference and style that I do not try to message or or contact kids when they are on their visits because I think that's weird. Uh, so I'm waiting to talk to a few of them, but the feedback I've gotten from guys who have left and from talking to some people around the program, everything went pretty great. Uh, I mean, I, I said it uh, to a few people on the field before the game happened that in 10 years of being on the field, I don't remember a pregame atmosphere like that at Ohio mm -hmm. state. Um, and pregame atmosphere means nothing if you go out and don't win the game, but obviously they did. And, and that, that crowd was something really special last uh, last night. So kudos to you, America. Well done. Um, but people are going are, are gonna to gauge this weekend on how many guys commit in the next couple of days. And I don't think that's a fair way to assess it, especially when you're realizing that a hefty number of the visitors were the 24 and 25 kids around the country. Uh, there were really only as far as I can tell, three uncommitted 2023 prospects that were even visiting. Uh, as far as kids that have offers, that was all three defensive ends, Damon Wilson, Keon Keeley, and Mateo Uangalele. So none of those guys are likely to get home and immediately make a decision. I do think the Buckeyes have put themselves in a, in a winning position for Damon Wilson, uh, a five-star defensive end from, from Miami area. That one I think you could see maybe go sooner than the others, but I still think it's a week or two away at minimum. Um, bottom line, we saw Larry Johnson's defensive line on Saturday dominate a game for the first time in a couple of years, and it was the right time for that to happen uh, because those three guys are ultimately, with a top three ranked recruiting class right now, those three can elevate it into potentially fighting for that number one spot. And I, I don't, and it's going to sound crazy, Bill, but I think that there's an opportunity, not a great one, but I think you could potentially convince all three of those guys to join the same class. And I think that would be, I, I think it's possible. I think it's, I really do. Because next year, if you look at the defensive line, look at the defensive ends, you don't have a lot of proven depth behind JT and, and Jack Sawyer. You've got Omari Abor and Kenyatta Jackson, but beyond them, there's an opportunity for some young guys to step yeah. up and play. And those are difference makers. And if you can play as a freshman four or five games uh, and then be ready to emerge like Chase Young did in 2017 or 20, 2017 to 2018, now all of a sudden you have a blueprint. And I don't think it's a coincidence that all those guys got to meet Chase Young um, on yeah. Saturday. <laughs> what, an, what an unbelievable night, Bill. Like It was pretty I, crazy. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> this, uh, this is, if I had more time to write like everything I want to write, I would have asked Ryan Day like to expound on what it meant for just Ohio State because no one else that I can think of really on a college football level can get LeBron James and Joe Burrow on the field at the same time. Like that's a pretty <laughs> crazy situation. It was when so we me you and Austin were all 
on the same side of the field. Um, I guess that would be the the east side of Ohio Stadium near the South Tunnel. And LeBron walked onto the field on the opposite side of the South Tunnel. And every single recruit who was on our side of the field, which was just about all of them, just like immediately ran to the side of the field where LeBron, like I had never seen anything. I've never seen that many people move that quickly in one direction. (laughs) Imagine if he had actually gone to Ohio state. I know, I know, but, uh, and and he had a Bronny there too. So uh, I guess uh, for any hoops recruiting heads, well, I know that uh, speaking to Luke Montgomery, Ohio state's offensive tackle commitment from Finley, uh, Ohio, Luke said that he made sure that Damon Wilson and Keon Keeley promised him if he could get them a photo with LeBron James that they would commit to Ohio State. And he said that he pulled that off. So I guess now you know what's <laughs> happening. And those, uh, you know, Luke Luke played for LeBron's AAU team. So he's got a little bit of a, a tie in there and uh, played with Bronny for a couple of years in the AAU circuit. So it, it certainly his little black book uh, is coming in handy. But we'll see if those kids are just liars or not. I mean, they said they would commit. So Keon. Damon, if you're listening, don't lie to Luke. Yeah, be 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 men of your word. You got your picture now. Now commit to, to the Buckeyes. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much all you can say. <laughs> that's that's how it works. All right, uh, we will wrap up there. Berm uh, will have uh, plenty more, I think, about the recruiting uh, weekend uh, here on the podcast and also at OhioState.Rivals.com. Uh, we'll have more stories coming out of the game. Berm, as he said, has that story on my call. Uh, I am uh, writing one on some other thoughts of, of things that. I picked up on rewatching the game. We'll have plenty more uh, throughout the week here and at OhioState.Rivals.com. Interviews back in the Woody on Tuesday. Nothing on Monday with the uh, Labor Day holiday, but that doesn't mean we won't have coverage. Uh, You can keep it tuned in here to the podcast and to Rivals, and we'll have you covered all week. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.